Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 172 for November 27th, 2008. Sandboxy. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by IWantToBeANerd.com. The Nerds on Site team of IT professionals is looking for nerds with all competencies and skills. Go to www.IWantToBeANerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting today. And by Audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit AudiblePodcasts.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that focuses, aims a laser beam at your security and privacy online. Steve Gibson is here. He's the security whiz from GRC.com, the creator of Shields Up, the first, also the first anti-spyware software, and many other great utilities, including, of course, Spinrite, which is the must-have hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Hi, Steve. Yo, Leo. Great to be with you this week. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to finally have the show that I've been wanting to have and mentioning and hinting about for many weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about Sandboxy. We talked about it about two years ago when I fired up my email to contact Sandboxy's author, Ronan Tsur. Um, I realized, I mean, I was surprised. It had been almost exactly two years when he and I had had some interaction. Um, We did a show about Sandboxy sort of an overview, cursory look at it. And, you know, he felt the effect of us talking about it on Security Now, thanks to our audience, and um, and sent both you and me some um, registrations for it. Um, I was really pleased to see that they hadn't expired, even though Sandboxy has evolved a lot in two years. When I downloaded the current version, which is 3.32, and applied the registration information from two years ago, um, it worked because his registration is once per lifetime. That is, I guess, yours or his or somebody's, ours. Um, And then you own it for life. And also, you're able to use it on all of the machines that you own. So it's not restrictive um, in any way. And um, I've spent the last couple weeks... Um, looking at it more closely and then really focusing on it in preparation for wanting to really get to know it. And I've got to say, Leo, I mean, this is, it is a, it has turned into a really significant security tool. I mean, it is for people who are interested in security and, and want control over what things go bump in their windows machines. Um, I'm going to explain it in great detail. We've got Ronan on, uh, with an interview so people can get a sense for him and what his goals were and, and what the product does. And then I'm going to go into in detail how it works to really explain it. Um, I'm, I couldn't be more excited. I'm, I'm think that this is just a, it, it is, I think as important a tool as a personal firewall is for, for um, network communication. Wow. High praise indeed from the master. 
Well, before we uh, get going, and I'm, I'm sure we have some security news to cover as well, and uh, a bunch of neat stuff has happened in the last week. Yeah, neat. Oh, well, that's good. Usually, you hear bad stuff, not neat stuff. That's that's a good <laughs> well, sign. Uh, you know, neat, bad. You know, <laughs> we are we are a security show after all. Interesting. So, yes, our that's, definitions are a little twisted. <laughs> we'll use the we'll use the neutral. Some interesting stuff. May you live in interesting times. Before we do that, though, I want to uh, mention our friends at Nerds on Site. We talk to them all the time. Uh, this episode brought to you by IWantToBeANerd.com. The Nerds on Site team of IT professionals is growing. They're looking for nerds. And, and by the way, this is all over the world. They're looking for nerds with competencies and skills in every area, from PC and Mac experts to specialties like Cisco, Oracle, you name it, they need it. Fix-it technicians, website designers, programmers, project managers, sales, trainers, security experts, antivirus gurus. Look, especially, especially those nerds who are solution-focused, today's uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, SME. Um, it, it, frankly, this is the only growing market sector right now. You're probably already in this business or you'd like to get in this business. The thing is... Nerds are independent contactors. You're in business for yourself. The key is you're not by yourself. You can focus on what you love to do, not the burdens of running your business. And that's the whole point of Nerds on Site. They give you the support, the training, the backup, everything you need to make yourself a success. Now, I said international. I mean it. Canada, the U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, and now India since we talked last about the nerds on site, they've really grown considerably. And, and they also have this great University of Nerdology where you can hone your skills, learn new skills in anything from systems architecture to software development, on-source IT departments to desktop support, uh, on-site uh, IT departments to desktop support, Soho, residential IT services. You'll keep up your skills. You'll learn from other nerds. You'll enjoy the constant best-in-class training. And, you know, if you've got a problem, you're talking to a client, and it's something out of your area of skills, you can call on the other nerds, and they're there to help. I, look, just find out more. If, if you want to be a nerd or you'd like to know more about it and you love working with people, go to IWantToBeANerd.com. They, uh, they can, you can have a nerds-only meeting today. They use GoToMeeting, and you, can, and you can join that meeting in the comfort and privacy of your own home and find out all about it. We really love them, and we are so glad to have them as part of the Security Now family. I want to be a nerd.com. I suspect many of you already are. So, so Steve, uh, before we talk to Ronan, I'm excited about talking to the author of Sandboxy. Let's uh, find out what's going on in the world of security. Okay. First thing, Leo, we need to get you back using NoScript. Oh, is it that bad? No, no, no. It's that good. Oh. Um, I wanted to acknowledge all of the annoyed listeners we have. <laughs> Including me. Who, I, it's well, no. still running on my system, by the way. They I were just turned off scripting. They, they were annoyed that you and I gave up on it oh, so, okay. so easily. And I found the secret. Um, it's the secret everybody else knows except you and me. Oh, what is that? You turn off notifications. It's that it's oh. that annoying audio gorp sound it makes, and the popping up of the bar all the time. That uh, you know what I was doing, and I I don't know. I mean I know better than this because you know I was using a a script management system in IE. It was it was my own, but the idea being if a if a site, I mean virtually every site on the planet now wants to run scripts, but but most of them don't need to. So you don't want to know 
when every single site you go to is trying to run scripts and then like, oh, give it permission. Okay. The idea is you only give permission to the ones where you notice something doesn't seem to work and you care. And so what I've been doing now for about the last two weeks after I read through lots of people saying, okay, you guys are just dumb. Um, I thought, okay, well, let's try this again. So I'm back using NoScript. I'm looking at the options. You tell me what to do to make this work okay. Okay, you just go in, in the options, go to the notifications tab. Okay. And you'll you, you'll see the first checkbox you turn off for, you know, pop-up notification when scripts are blocked. All right. And then in the second region is audio and turn that off. Yeah, I have that turned off already. Okay, and now um and now then go also go back to I think it's on the first tab, the down at the bottom is globally dis, globally enable scripts, and it says dangers or something after. Yeah, it. Well, I had I, that know. checked. I'll uncheck that now. Yes, and I, I got to say, Leo, I've I've been now two weeks into this, and it's it's heaven again. There are, you know, it's only when I notice that something's not right. So you do sort of in the back of your mind, you need to remember that you've got no script going, meaning that. You know, sites are not being allowed to script, but, you know, it's only the ones that matter that where you then manually, you just click on the little, the little S down there and it'll show you if it's blocking something and it makes it very simple to enable just the things that it has blocked. And so, you know, I'm really happy with it. And this is no, I mean, I really think that the notifications should be off by default rather than on by default because, you know, well, here's I, my I, concern is that I'm going to be. Uh, surfing around now, and I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna know that I'm not getting the full page. Almost everything I use uses JavaScript, and I disagree. It's non-trivial. It's not t- JavaScript I don't need. In many, many cases, it's JavaScript I do need. Well, okay. So we're gonna talk today about Sandboxy, which is which is tremendous for preventing system modifications. If you go to a malicious site that wants to hurt you, the problem is it's it wasn't designed to be a privacy tool. Mm. So what you really want is you want scripting disabled unless you want it enabled. I mean, you know, I've always been saying right. even before Locked I switched in. to Firefox and to, to and using NoScript that, you know, scripting is a real problem. And, you know, the reason you finally yourself added NoScript was, you know, you were listening to all this and thinking, wow. <laughs> well, and, you know, one incident after incident after right. incident demonstrating what a problem scripting is. Well, so, I've had and I've turned it on and off and on and off for years because I just get frustrated. Well, so all I'm saying is I wanted to acknowledge all of our listeners who are successfully using it with thanks to disabling notification and selectively enabling it. And yeah, I am see. now too. So I'll tell you one thing it you breaks. Can join the party, Leo, or you can stay out there. I, well, first I of all, I'm wanted- using a Mac, so I'm not too worried. But sec- <laughs> second of all, and if people would just use a Mac, they'd be, they'd have fewer problems. But second of all, things like one Amazon one click is seen as a click jack. It's like, okay, so many of these techniques that are potentially dangerous are also used by webs, legitimate websites, even Amazon that it becomes an issue. Now, in a perfect world, Amazon wouldn't use these techniques. Nobody would use these techniques. They wouldn't be so reliant on scripting, but we don't live in a perfect world. And uh, I'm not, I'll use it. I'll give it a shot, a shot, and we'll talk next week about whether it's been successful. I'm sure you'll do the same. See what you think. Yeah.
I've turned off notifications, so now I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I, it, it, works, it works for me. I well, know, cause, Yeah, because you don't know what you're missing. And if I don't, I guess it's not very important. It's to, I, well, that maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're missing okay. 90% of the functionality of a site. Part of my job is to look at sites and review them. If I'm missing functionality on a site because I have a no script running, it's not very functional for me. Okay. But, well, I'll try it. I'm, I'm open-minded. I'll give it a shot. All right. Okay. Second bit of errata before we get into the security news is a couple days ago, PayPal started acting differently for me. I, when I logged in, I I gave it my email address and then, and because I've got my little PayPal football, I type in my password and I know how I can then just add the, the next six, the, you know, the, the six, the six digits from the football to the end of my password in order to bypass the separate screen, which says, you know, oh, you, you're registered to use the, the security token. What is the current token um, uh, value in, in the display window? Yeah, well, that's changing on mine. Yeah. Um, so the reason it didn't work is PayPal suddenly became aware of my VeriSign VIP right. card. Well, that's why it wants me to choose. All of a sudden, I saw that it wants me to choose. Yes, and ah. which, and so we've been waiting for this. So I thought, oh, how cool! Let me try that. So I, because now it, it's allowing me to choose any of the a, a, any of the registered tokens, the security authentication tokens that are associated together. So I, I for the first time ever, chose. The VeriSign, you know, VIP, the, the credit card dealie that we talked about u- using e-ink. And the problem is I've pushed that little button so many times that it's, it's gone of off into the right. twilight zone. Right, right. I mean, PayPal has no – I mean, Ver- PayPal is using uh, VeriSign's back end in order to provide these services. So so what it did was it, it asked me three times, and I kept giving it the number. It says, I don't think you're right. Try it again. I kept giving it the number. Then it took me to a screen where it asked me for two in a row, and that was the synchronization process right. we've talked about, right. and it worked perfectly, and I now have my credit, my VeriSign credit card authentication and my football, um, I, we, and this is the problem we talked about where I'm, you know, what if I didn't have my, have, my, have my football with me because it's kind of bulky and a pain, well, but where's my little VeriSign credit card is in my wallet, and it's with me all the time, so now PayPal and eBay know about both. I think that it was, I, I'm, I may be wrong, but I, I think I've been using my VeriSign card on PayPal for a while. So I, th- oh. I think they knew about it, but I think what's happened is they're now explicitly asking you to choose which one you're using. Because I okay. believe I had been using the PayPal, because uh, the football's here, but I carry the VeriSign with me in my wallet. So when I'm at home, I've been using the VeriSign. I think I've been doing that for some time now. Hmm. I don't know how they would know which is which, because... Um, they wouldn't, yeah, uh, which right. is probably why they want you to do the drop down now. Exactly. Now you have yeah. to tell them spe- explicitly which one they, that you're using. They're both um, they're both six digits, right? They're both the same. Yes, they're, they're they're six digits, and you know one is time based and one is sequential based. The card does not have a clock in it, so it, so every time you push it, it, g- it generates the next cryptographic right. string in a sequence, and which is why it needed a couple in order to synchronize itself. Right. Um, and, and actually the football does have a, is, is time-based and has a clock in it. So it's, you know, it, it's transparent to, 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 the user. Although if you were to 
if you were to push the football button a lot between uses, no, no one would care because it's, it's time-based. If you push the credit card a whole lot and like really go off into the future of sequences, then you would be forced to go through this this um, synchronizing process when you next tried to actually use it for authentication. Yeah, it's a a wonderful thing. And what's really nice is to be able to use either or. Yes. Because as I said, I have one here and one there. Well, and and for a long time, um, you could register only one. So I want to let people know that PayPal is now up to speed and uh, and those little little um, uh, credit card format tokens are functioning and um, you know and and work great. Fantastic. Security news: a uh, bunch of interesting things. I uh, wanted to mention that Apple Safari had a major update, both in for Windows and Mac, uh, to something past three point two, probably three point three. But I know I know that. Anything prior, I'm sorry, no, not now to 3.2, because anything prior to 3.2 had some critical uh, remote code execution, execution vulnerabilities that have been cured in 3.2. When I fired up my Mac this morning, I did my routine check for updates and says, oh, we got a new version of Safari for, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. you. So I checked into what was going on, and that has been since we last talked. So um, Safari users will want to update themselves, whether they're on Windows or Mac. Um, MSNBC carried an interesting story about a report that Symantec released that I thought people would find interesting. It turns out that hackers that are breaking into e-commerce enabled enterprises are no longer necessarily rummaging through the database, trying to install Trojans, trying to just, you know, wreak whatever havoc they can. When they realize that they've cracked into an e-commerce enabled enterprise, they they stay on the down low and they actually commandeer the enterprise e-commerce system to use for verifying stolen credit cards. Oh. They they they've set themselves up as a third party service. They charge ten dollars per card. Symantec reports to to get lists of stolen cards from other card stealing people, <laughs> and then they will quietly use their the back door that they've established into an e commerce system to verify the validity of the cards, which an e commerce system is able to do. You know, if, you know, I wrote my own from scratch. And so I've, you know, um, used the API that is available for merchant services and you're able to verify cards, um, that they're valid without, um, putting any charge on them. And so what hackers are now doing is they're, they're breaking into enterprises that have merchant service backend access and commandeering it, using it quietly for their own purposes and not wanting to be discovered because they want to keep being able to use this service. And that's that, really interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, they're, they, they're so, cl- you know, I hate to give them any credit at all, but when there's money involved, they get pretty clever and, uh, yeah. and wily. Yeah. Um, Microsoft announced that the November version, that is this month's version of their MSRT, their, their malicious software removal tool, removed what Microsoft described as phony security software, which of course was 
you know, malicious from nearly 1 million Windows PCs in the first nine days of its deployment. Wow. And, and so a million machines had some, some sort of phony security software installed, and the MSRT that I always kind of think, that, you know, it's like, okay, well, is this really doing anything at all? We, I, you, know, you get a new one every month. And you may remember that two months ago in September, it it removed the Storm Trojan right. uh, from about three hundred thousand machines. This was the uh, today. This time it was the antivirus two thousand nine, right? Right. That's a that's a weird one. Uh, and yep. bites. A, I'm not surprised to hear there's a million of them out there. In fact, I bet you there's a lot more. I would get calls all the time on the radio show from somebody who says, "Hey, you know, antivirus two thousand nine found some bugs on my system and I installed it." <laughs> it's like, and it has certain behaviors uh, when it's broken. I mean, you, you know, unfortunately, this, as wily as these guys are, they're still crappy coders. So yep. there are certain symptoms of this thing that yep. uh, when people call me up, I go, "Oh, you got it. You got bit." Well, and then there's a we have a first to report. Dutch authorities operating in the Netherlands um, convicted a 19-year-old for operating a bot network. Yay. And Excuse me? Yay, I'm glad they've convicted him. Yes. And here's what's very cool, and this has never been done before. After they arrested him, they, they used his command and control system of his botnet to inform all the infected end users... <laughs> that their machines were infected wow. with a powerful botnet. They, they redirected them to a, to a different website, which provided instructions for how to remove this thing from their machine. That's interesting. And that's, that's something we have never seen before. Um, I, I, it's, it's questionable whether it's legal in the U.S. You know, there have been, everyone is always saying, hey, you know, why can't we use right. these things to like, disinfect themselves? And the idea is that, well, you're communicating with software technically in violation of the law by having, you know, any modification. Maybe maybe it's the fact that they didn't remove it, but right. they they just redirected people to a site which said, hey, you know, we, you're here because the Dutch police have figured out that, you know, your machine was under control of a bad guy. Now it's under our control we don't want it to be under anyone's control, even ours. So here's how you remove this. The problem is it was a nasty bot. It was a rootkit bot. So it, it evaded scanners and antivirus things. It turns out it's it's difficult to remove, uh, at least at this point. Maybe, you know, somebody would create an auto remover, but you'd probably have to, like, you know, boot a CD kind of thing in order to get it out of there. Because, I mean, it, it, it really set its hooks deep into the operating system. Mm. But uh, I thought that was really interesting that they said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna use the network to let people know they've been affected and and let them you know do whatever they want to do with that information." But we're gonna give them the information. I suspect that's a, a first, but it seems like since they're not modifying their machines, just notifying them, that would be okay. Yeah. And then some Australian, you may have heard about this, um, some, some Austrian, rather, some Austrian firewall vendors found a kernel memory overwrite bug in Vista. Yeah. Um, there's an API, an application programming interface, that, that there, there's a, essentially a subroutine that you're able to, that, that a, a program can call, called Create IP Forward Entry 2, which is, uh, it, it allows 
programs to modify the 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 internet routing table in Vista. Uh, you can also you if you use the route add command from the command line uh, and you give it a net mask larger than 32 bits, you will get a blue screen of death. It will crash Vista. Um, now, what we know is that this is actually overriding kernel memory and that that's a dangerous thing to do because even though Vista has got a lot, we've talked about this in detail, has some substantial you know, anti-hacking technology like the address space layout randomization where DLLs are, are always being loaded in different locations so that it's not possible to do a, 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 a highly successful jump to a certain location. Um, also, it requires either full admin privileges in order for this for this to work at all, um, or you need to be a member of the network configuration operator group, which you know most people aren't. Right. So, and thanks to Vista, the way Vista operates, as we know, um, your most users are now not operating as admin; they only elevate themselves to admin privileges during a time through the UAC that they actually need those. Um, that 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 facility. So you, you know, I saw that in the article that oh, this is nothing to worry about because nobody's running as admin. Is that really the case? I think most people do, in fact, run as admin, even on Vista. It's easy not to, and I tell everybody not to. You th- I don't think the default install of Vista sets you up as a limited user, does it? Yeah, it does. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. You are not. You, you, I, I believe in Vista. Unlike XP, you are you are normally not an admin, and then you use the UAC in order to elevate yourself when you need to. Oh, I hope that's true. I think that's the case. And but I, but I forgot to also mention it is it, it is at the, as far as we know, it is exclusively a local attack, meaning that it's not something that can be done remotely. So code in your machine would have to be already in your machine in order to exploit this. As a consequence of all these mitigating factors, Microsoft has, you know, yawned a little bit and said, eh, we'll fix this in the next service pack. You know, this doesn't seem like something, you know, yes, we'd rather Vista didn't crash. You know, uh, you know, you could experiment with it using the route add command and give it long net masks. And if you're an admin user, you'll crash your Vista. Well, okay. Um, anyway, Microsoft is not. It doesn't say, it's mostly because it's a local attack. Somebody has to have physical access to your precisely, system. and and well, and the point is, or code is, has to be running. Well, if the code's running, right. then you've already been compromised. Right, too late anyway. It's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and of course, I've got a, a, a always try to find a fun and interesting uh, spinwright story t- to share. We've got uh, Edward McCall uh, wrote with just a simple subject, spinwright, and he said, spinwright just completed its analysis and low-level corrections of my hard drive. And I was delighted to find it corrected two cyclic redundancy check CRC errors I had encountered. I was trying to copy two important files when I encountered CRC errors on those two files, and they refused to copy. Spinrite corrected those, and now I'm able to copy the files. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have a wonderful product, all in caps. Thank you again. So... It was, you know, we get so many of uh, people who write in where, you know, Windows won't boot. It's sort of an all or nothing sort of thing. Here was an inter- a different one because he had specific files on the system, not in the boot process, but on some important files that, you know, that, that he absolutely needed. So he ran Spinrite on the whole drive, specifically targeting just those two, and it fixed it for him. 
So that was neat. I just wish that uh, there was some way... You know, I, I use Spinrite all the time, and it's saved it just saved Dane's uh, drive on his Vista machine. Yep, um, I got I got email from yeah. um, Colleen from 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 Colleen. Yeah, yeah. she was asking. She's me. become, by the way, she's become a, the biggest Spinrite advocate you've ever met. Uh, <laughs> I think when she first started working here, she might have kind of heard of it. She certainly knew who you were. But now, man, she's like a Spinrite fanatic. <laughs> Every drive that comes in the door, she's Spinriting and Spinriting. But I've got a uh, uh, an iMac with a and the, the newer iMacs are very hard to get to the hard drive, which is really frustrating because I know uh, if I could spin right that drive, all would be well, uh, but I just can't get to it, so I'm gonna have to take it to the Apple Store and they'll probably replace the drive unnecessarily. Ouch! Yeah, it just you know it, if it's a SATA drive, it should be easy to access. The good news is it's not really debilitating because it's got FireWire 800, and I just bought an external drive and it runs and boots off of that just fine. So ah, cool. Yeah, it's not yeah, the end she, of the world. Uh, um, uh, Colleen sent mail because. She wanted some clarification on 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 Spinrite's smart monitoring screen to know right. whether it would be worth you know worth running Spinrite and and from what she said I said well what what, what you're looking at is data that was never meant to be seen um, Spinrite services sort of the internal workings of the smart system and so we, we don't even state what it is we're really showing we just say that okay you know this is stuff going on behind the scenes. We do also show the normal smart data, but the stuff behind the scenes is substantially more sensitive. And so as I explained to her, it's useful if, if you had a couple drives of the same make and model, you could compare the actual error rates that you would nor- that normally nothing shows you when, when you're running the drive under Spinrite to get a sense for which one is in better shape. Comparing you know, similar makes and models would mean that the data that they were showing you was the same. Or if you looked at a drive at day one and, you know, day 120 and day 240, it would also give you a sense for the rate at which the drive's condition was deteriorating, you know, if it was. So, so comparing over time with the same drive or the same make and model, it's very sensitive. Anyway, I said, so, you know, don't worry, those numbers seem high. Give Spinrite a shot. And I got an email from her, I guess, the next day saying, you know, yippee, uh, it just worked. You know, <laughs> so that was yeah. neat. She's she's a, she is a very very happy Spinrite customer. You could add her to your your list of testimonials. I mean, she's neat. she is just a big fan of a Spinrite. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Ronan. What is this? Ronan Sewer? How do you pronounce that? Uh, it's it's R O N E N T Z U R, and so you pronounce it just like it's spelled. Ronan Tzur. Tzur. Okay, great. He is the creator of Sandboxy, and uh, I cannot wait. Really looking forward to uh, talking to him because that software is something. But before we do that, I do want to mention our friends at Audible.com. If you want a free audiobook to get just, you know, the idea is we'll introduce you to Audible.com. See if you like it. I know you will, but, you know, I, some people are maybe a little skeptical. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. That's the place to go. Sign up today. You get a credit towards a book. Absolutely free. Yours to keep even if you don't stay with Audible. I know you will. You love Arthur C. Clarke, right, Steve? You must. Oh, absolutely. Anybody yeah, I mean, you know, fan. 2001, Space Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he gets a lot of attention for that. I think his greatest book was Childhood's End. I just will never forget that book. It is one of, you know, yep. there are certain Classic. books that just, if you're a science fiction fan, you have to have. And, uh, and that's absolutely one of them. Uh, a really nice reading of Childhood's End available for you. Unabridged, audible.com. They just put it out a couple of weeks ago. 
I, when I first came to Audible, I, w- I was disappointed. They didn't. I don't think they had any Arthur C. Clarke. They've made a concerted effort. They're recording it themselves in beautiful, beautiful quality editions. Let me just play a little bit of uh, Childhood's End. This is narrated by Eric Michael Summer and Robert J. Sawyer, one of the great science fiction classics of all time. In the first year of their coming, the advent of the overlords had made less difference oh. to the pattern of human life than might have been expected. Their shadow was everywhere, but it was an unobtrusive shadow. Though there were few great cities on Earth where men could not see one of the silver ships glittering against the zenith, after a little while they were taken as much for granted as the sun, moon, or clouds. Most men were probably only dimly aware that their steadily rising standards of living were due to the overlords. The overlords, man. Oh, baby. Do not spoil the end of this one. This, is, this has one of the great endings of all science fiction. Uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. I, ca- I couldn't be happier. Childhood's End, unabridged, Arthur C. Clarke, a master work of science fiction on our recommendation. I mean, you, look, you're going you're gonna to flip your lid when you find Audible and start listening to all these incredible books. I've said it many times. I, you know, I love science fiction. I know you do too, Stephen. I just don't think that there is anything like reading the book or listening to the book. I don't think a science fiction movie or TV show comes close because your imagination yeah. is so good at building those sets. And I, when you listen, it is there's something extraordinarily vivid about these books. I feel like I've seen the best movie you know ever made when you listen to these. You're not going to want to put this one down. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Make this your Audible pick or any of 51,000 titles. You won't be sorry. Audiblepodcast.com Slash security now. We thought, thank Audible so much for their support of the Security Now program. Steve, let's uh, say hello to uh, Ronan Sur. He's calling us from Israel. Yes, that's right. It's nice to meet you. I guess you and Steve have talked already. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. We've we've been exchanging email for a couple weeks, and um, because I had originally hoped to have him a couple weeks ago, well, a couple but, of years, know, as, really. I mean, I think we we've talked about Sam Boxy for a while now. Well, it, it comes up from time to time, and actually, my motivation we we originally we did a, we did an episode on it that sort of talked about it a couple years ago, right. and um, and it was just maybe a couple months ago that that I noticed there was some dialogue in GRC's news groups. And when I jumped into those and to ask people what they thought, they, they were like, wow, you know, completely addicted to it. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, you know, we, we've been talking about Firefox. We've been talking about no script, you know, let's, it's time to revisit sandboxy and, and really understand what this is about. So, so Ronan and I fired up dialogue. I've spent um, a number of days Parts of a num- of number of days, getting my I mean really coming to understand what it is that that Ronan created, and I'm I'm really really bullish about it. It's what I recognize now is that it's a what what he created is a universal security tool that encapsulates program behavior in Windows in, in a way that prevents things, malicious things, or inadvertent things, or privacy things. I mean, there, there's so many ways this can be used. So, um, you know, after we talk to Ronan, I'm going to explain in, in detail exactly how this functions, sort of from the, from, from the user's Windows perspective. 
Um, but I wanted to get a sense, for example, like what Ronan's uh, original motivation was behind Sandboxy, because this is, as, as I mentioned, four years in the making at this point. How does it feel to have a program people are addicted to, Ronan? <laughs> well, it feels very good. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, the, the addiction uh, aspect of it is something that I recognize, because uh, once you, you start using it and uh, you get the feeling that whatever you do with uh, this protected programs inside the sandbox, they can't harm your computer, then without this tool, you, you feel almost naked after a while. A lot. Um, and I mean, a, a perfect example is just this morning, um, I, I had received email that included a PowerPoint presentation. It was, you know, it was some, something someone had forwarded to me. He didn't create it. This it was, you know, something roaming around the internet. And it's like, oh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous when I launch anything in email because you just don't know what it is. And when I initially clicked on it, um, I got a notice that from Sandboxy saying power, power PNT.exe does not have permission to run in the sandbox because my, I've got Eudora now. My email client is in a Eudora sandbox and Firefox is in its sandbox. And I had, I tightened it down so that only Eudora and Firefox could run in the in the fire in the Eudora sandbox, um, but now Eudora wanted to launch the PowerPoint viewer. So I I I said, oh yeah, well I you know I want to do that. So I'm evolving the settings a little bit of of Sandboxy as I go. So I I added PowerPNT.exe to the list of permitted executables that could run in the Eudora sandbox, and then. Um, and then clicked on the link. Well, so now it worked this time. PowerPoint was it was allowed to run in the Eudora sandbox, and I knew that no matter what this thing did, it could not hurt me. It could, I mean, you know, it, its view of the system. This is what I'll be talking about after we're through talking to Ronan. Its view of the system is 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 essentially Eudora sandbox centric, and it is not allowed to make changes outside of the sandbox which are persistent so i mean it's just it's really it's really spectacular Ronan, a lot of great software is written to scratch your own itch was this is this how sandboxy started was it something you did for yourself yes that's that's really the the drive behind it uh, because uh, early on in uh, in 2004 when i just started developing the product uh, uh, sandboxy that at that time i uh, or just uh, Sometime earlier than that, I was hit by spyware. Oh. And I, yeah. So I couldn't get rid of it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, these, these uh, traditional anti-spyware tools, they take some time to catch up with everything. Right. So what I seemed to get uh, at that point in time was something that uh, the traditional and at least the more common tools, they did not identify. So I ended up with a compromised system and I didn't like it very much. How did so you come up then, with the idea of a sandbox? Was that your first thought? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I thought if I could get uh, Internet Explorer to run in uh, isolated space uh, inside a, a sandbox, uh, some kind of disposable space that uh, I wouldn't care if it gets infected uh, with, with spyware or anything else, uh, that uh, in the worst case scenario, I just uh, throw it away and start over. So that's, that's was, uh, that was the initial thought. Uh, so... Um over the over now that that was four years ago um, at some point then 
this were you originally thinking of making it a commercial product did you just do it sort of as a as something to solve your own problem where did it you know transition from okay now i've got internet explorer running in a a contained environment maybe this would be useful for other people well i i always had hopes for it as a as a commercial product but i have to say that initially uh, it was just a proof of concept product because uh, I couldn't tell in advance that uh, this is going to definitely work and uh, I'm going to be able to do it. For instance, uh, there was uh, a lot of talk on the internet for a while how uh, Internet Explorer is uh, part of the operating system and you can't uh, really uh, take it out of the operating system. And so, you know, this raises questions whether something like Sandbox is even possible. So there was the initial idea, but then I had to work on it to see that the implementation actually works. But uh, once I got that uh, going and I, I saw that it definitely was possible and uh, there are no real technical limitations to getting that done, then yes, I certainly was hoping to, to turn it into a commercial product at some point. And so um, how has it evolved since then, you know, from, from, from then to now? Well, uh, it's been uh, four years now. Right. So... There, is, there has been uh, some evolution. Like I said, the, the first version was uh, really a proof of concept code and uh, not something that you could really use. And that was in June of 2004, about uh, six months or so after I started working on it. And uh, at the time, I felt that the idea is, is really something new and something novel, and it's going to take some time to, to really become popular. So I thought even... Even though this is not really a finished product, I might as well start early getting the idea out. All right? So over time, I took that idea of isolating the browser and I applied it to programs in general. And in fact, that's, that's what today most of Sandbox is concerned with. That is creating a sandbox that can run almost any problem any program and running the isolated Internet Explorer or the, the isolated Internet Explorer or the isolated Firefox is just a specific case of the general idea. Well, I think you touched on that uh, earlier when you spoke about sandboxes, Steve. Well, yeah. And in fact, um, in, in talking with you, I didn't realize, for example, that you could, you could use it, for example, to sandbox the setup or installation of a program, if you run an installer in the sandbox, then everything the installer does, including, you know, a sophisticated installation of an application, it's, it's in the sandbox. So that's right. So and it's not really making changes to your system. It thinks it is, but that's the, the, the trick and the beauty of what you've done is it thinks it's, installing the software on your system. It's in fact making modifications, sort of deltas in the sandbox. And if you decide you don't want this, then you just, you know, you delete the sandbox and it's like this never happened. Exactly. That's the core idea of Sandboxy, that, uh, that unlike other security tools, it doesn't try to stop the, the malicious program from working because the, then you have uh, false positives when uh, when real software gets uh, identified as uh, malicious or uh, malicious software falls through the cracks. So Sandboxy takes another idea. It says, I'm going to let this program do whatever it wants. And if you don't like it, you can easily get rid of it with just a single mouse click. Right. 
Does it help um, uh, now that they, you've got a hypervisor and built-in hardware support for virtualization? Does that make it a little easier to do what Sandboxy does now? No, unfortunately, not at all, because the hypervisor is the is designed and and developed for a, really for virtual machines, which is a similar but a different technology from similar perhaps from the concept conceptually similar to what Sandbox is trying to do, which is isolation. But from an implementation point of view, virtual machines are different, so the oh, hypervisor doesn't doesn't really make any difference. Hmm. One of the one of the ways that that we can think about this, and I was going to ask you how you would compare Sandboxy uh, with a traditional virtual machine approach. Um, in, in a virtual machine, what we're virtualizing is the chip, and and so so that's what's being um, extrapolated. And so so to use a virtual machine, you, you're you're essentially virtualizing at the chip. You then have a have a a um, sort of a, a clone of the chip, which you then install an operating system into, which you then install applications into, and that's sort of the traditional uh, virtual machine approach. Here, you're it's sort of like you're virtualizing the API, that is the operating system's application programming interface, so that you're you're inserting yourself between the application and the OS, which solves well many many. Um, problems that the tr- that, that the traditional virtual machine has um, in it in that it's a sort of an inherently much lighter weight solution. You're not having to commit you know a gig or or half a gig of RAM to a virtual machine that is then taken away from the from the host operating system. Um, nor do you need a second copy of an operating system and second copies of all your applications installed in that in that separate virtual machine. That's right. Uh, also, with uh, a virtual machine is uh, inherently a, a different computer. It may be a simulated computer, but uh, it is uh, at the end of the day what you have. You have two computers now that you're managing. One computer as your uh, primary applications, and then you dedicate a second computer, which just happens to be virtual and exists within your main computer. But in that second computer, you have to install a second set of your applications and then keep them up to date. Now, what Sandboxy does is let you have a, a roughly the same kind of isolation, that you have a, a, a logical virtual space that, uh, cannot, that is one way, that, that cannot touch back uh, and make modifications to your primary system, but is isolated. But you don't have to dedicate any of the things you mentioned. It's not a separate computer. You don't have to install a second operating system and a second set of applications. You don't have oh, to dedicate and, uh, memory. And also a whole virtual networking system. You know, when you use, for example, VMware, suddenly you get virtual adapters that are, that are like popping up all over the place. Right, right. It, it's really a, a complicated and advanced tool, and I don't think it was ever primarily designed uh, to, to make life easier on the <laughs> Internet, you know, to, to secure it. Was, I think it's, it's, it may be used this way. It's a side effect. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. But Sandboxy, on the other hand, has been designed from the ground down, from the ground up. That has always been the, the core idea to, to let you be safe on the Internet so that you can use your web-facing uh, or Internet-facing programs in a, in a secure way uh, where, you, where they are isolated from your system and they can only do so as much as you let them and never more than that. 
Well, then I guess the way it's evolved beyond that original motivation is that you realized that because you've created this containment system, which is robust, and you, you generalized it beyond Internet Explorer, for example, and even beyond email, to, to running anything in a sandbox so that any changes that, that anything you're running in the sandbox makes are transient. They are, they are not permanent. They don't actually affect the, the, the system in any way outside of the sandbox. That's right. Most of what I had to do with sandboxy, uh, most of the of the challenges I I had to address uh, for internet applications, for Internet Explorer, for Firefox, for uh, for um, Thunderbird, all kinds of uh, internet applications. Because at the end of the day, these are uh, programs that are running on the operating system. So the bulk of the work that I I had to do anyway to get just these programs to run and. I did some additional work to to make sandboxy in a sense generic. So the extra work that other programs may require, I I, I also addressed that because I thought uh, why not? It's just the little extra mile, the one extra mile to go. So sandboxy can have uh, much more applications than just using it for uh, internet security. Yeah. Yeah, I just um it's it's a tremendous solution. I'm I'm really glad that I that I took the time to look at it again. I now have um Firefox sandboxed and Internet Explorer and 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 Eudora sandboxed. I I'm not a big IE user anymore. I was sort of noticing it's it's convenient that the name sandboxy that I guess began as sandbox IE, you know, this it's convenient that the name is is also sort of generic and it doesn't really say IE that much because you've you've really moved it beyond just being a solution for Internet Explorer. Yeah, it's I thought it was a cute name. So there's the IE aspect of the name, but uh, it's really a minor thing because <laughs> you have to suffix the sandbox with something. <laughs> Sandboxer, sandbox it, sandbox IE is good. I like yeah, it. yeah. So um, you do you do pronounce it sandboxy, not sandbox IE. We need yeah, to clarify sandboxy. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and where do you go from here? Well, uh, um, the I think the most uh, challenges of uh, sandboxy have already been met. Uh, it does uh, it does most of the the things it set out to do. Uh, but uh, there is one uh, particular aspect that I would like to address in a future version, which is uh, even easier configurability than what sandboxy has today. In some cases, you have to configure Sandboxy to let the Sandbox program talk to the software outside the Sandbox. For example, a common case is PDF printing software, which has a part running outside the Sandbox and a part running uh, in the program that you are now running Sandbox. For example, part of it comes up in the Sandbox browser, and then when you click print, it tries to communicate with the part that runs outside the Sandbox. Now, the strict isolation of Sandboxy uh, initially prevents this communication and the, the failing, the, sorry, the printing fails. So what you would have to do is uh, tell Sandboxy in this case to relax its isolation just a bit to, to make this uh, printing possible. So right now what you have to do is you have to visit the Sandboxy website 
and uh, get uh, instructions for the particular piece of software that you're interested in. And then apply these instructions into the sandbox configuration. And then you, then you, uh, you have it uh, the way you need it. But what uh, I'd like to advance in that area is to make it uh, somehow more accessible to offer these pre-packaged configuration packages inside the program. All right? Yeah, that sounds great. I, I, I should mention two things. First of all, it, it is also from my own experience, I had exactly this issue, for example, with, print, uh, with generating PDFs from um, inside Firefox. It, it is possible to, to use the tools that you have provided. Um, there's a, like, like a, a restrictions monitor or resource monitor log where as you're trying to do something, you log things that are blocked and allowed. And so it's possible for someone who understands the sandboxy user interface, as I now do, to see what things were attempted and blocked. And that gives you literally the strings that you then add in the UI to permit those things that were blocked. And by doing a little bit of experimentation, um, even without, for example, going to the, to, to the sandboxy website, it's possible to develop your own little pinholes through the sandbox in order to get things to work that weren't before. Yeah, but and I think it's also it's worth mentioning that for people who want to just uh, visit the website and get the, the pre-prepared list of instructions, that's also possible. You, you really yeah. don't have to, yes, to I go agree. through monitoring. Yes, and, and in fact, um, I use... Uh, as as it happens, Macro Express as my my keystroke macro program, and I've got a bunch of macros that that I use for helping me with email. And after I sandboxed Eudora, they didn't work anymore. And I thought, well, I think I remember seeing something about that. And so I, w I went to the sandboxy site, looked under the compatibility, and there you had you know two strings that I need and and step by step instructions, two strings that I needed to add to the Eudora sandbox specifically to permit Macro Express to work. And bang, I did that, restarted Eudora, and now it works perfectly. Right. So it's already, it's pretty easy. It's fairly easy, but I, I want to make it even easier by offering these, these things directly in the program without you having to visit the website. To, because occasionally there are updates and uh, I just think it would be, it would be better. better. Well, so, and, and that is so what scares people off from security software in general. We've talked about that before, Steve, with NoScript. Yep. The harder it is to get it working, uh, the more more hassles and hitches you have, the more less likely, more likely you are to turn it off eventually. And so, the idea, uh, Ronan, would be that there, you you would have uh, in the UI like a, a a list of of known programs or or activities that require some cross sandbox operation and you just be able to like turn on checkboxes like if you it would say macro express and if you use macro express you just turn the checkbox on and that allows macro express to work across the sandbox yeah yeah exactly like this very nice um i should mention also to all of our listeners that i'm i'm really pleased with your licensing policy because um the license once purchased allows, first of all, uh, sand, that, that copy of Sandboxy to be used on all the machines owned by the licensee. So, you know, for example, with, with your permission, I get to use 
sandboxy on you know a couple of laptops and and various machines. I mean, I, I at this point I don't want to be without it. You know, truly. And the other thing is, it's a it's a license for life. That is, yeah. you 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 get it for sandboxy and anything you do in the future is covered by that 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 single license. Yes, any future upgrades to sandboxy are covered by that uh, license. It's a lifetime registration license. How has response been? Are you selling a lot of copies? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing all Good. right. Good. That's yeah, always people nice. People like the software. That's great. Yeah. Is it your full-time job now, or are you uh, still working in the, in the business? No, it's my full-time job. Fantastic. It's my full Isn't yeah. that a nice feeling that you can write something like that? Well, Steve, you know that feeling pretty well. And, <laughs> uh, and make a living on it uh, is, is great. Yeah, it actually does feel feel great. Yeah. And the positive uh, feedback has been overwhelming, so that's also very nice. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm good. really glad to be able to shine uh, a bright light on this again, Ronan. Um I you really deserve um well, you I think you deserve success with this and I and, and as a as a security conscious person who, you know, who's talking to a very security conscious audience. Um, I'm excited to be able to, you know, bring this back around, um, really explain it to our listeners um, as I'm about to and, um, and, you know, make it a, a, um, a tool that more people are going to be able to use. And I appreciate that very much. So thank you, Steve and Leo for having me on the show. Thank you, Ronan. Sandboxy. And it's, is it sandboxy.com? Yeah. It's easy to remember. It is. S-A-N-D-B-O-X-I-E.com. Thanks a lot, Ronan. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, <clears throat> Ronan Sewer from Israel, the creator of Sandboxy. Now, now we want to find out how Sandboxy works. This is where we get geeky. We're famous yep. for this. And this is why I get excited, Leo, because because this is a, as I mentioned at you know earlier and also while, while we were talking to Ronan, I'm, I am... Truly, honestly excited, and I mean, my world has changed. I am I'm now using Sandboxy um, for Firefox and for Eudora. If you use Sandboxy, do you need to use no scripts? Okay, here's I mean that that's a good question. The what what the answer is yes because Sandboxy is not a privacy enforcer. Okay. It's a security enforcer. Ah, it makes so perfect it, it, sense. Okay. It prevents something from changing your system. Um, but it, but you, but the, the, the program in the sandbox still has full access yes. to yes. everything in your system. So, so it, you, you can think of it sort of as like it, it makes it read only. So it's able to read everything. So if you had malicious scripts running that were, that, that were trying to steal information, they could still do so. Yeah, so it's not sense. a replacement for NoScript. And I am using NoScript in, in Firefox inside of Sandboxy. Well, let's, uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to learn how Sandboxy works. Um, very interested in this. And it was such a thrill to talk to Ronan. And uh, you, you'll see why Steve is so enthusiastic about it. But before we do that, I do want to mention our friends at Astaro. Entering into our third year of relationship of association with Astaro, and I'm so proud of it because it's such a great product. It's rare you get to do uh, advertisements for such good products. Maybe it's because we turned down so many advertisers that all of our all of our advertisers are people I can I just really can get behind. Astaro, absolutely, since practically since day one, I, I maybe episode thirty or something. 
Uh, they've been here on the Security Now program. What is Astaro? It makes kind of the, the best uh, security gateway, the best UTM device out there. Um, a combination of best in breed and open source and commercial software goes on this box that makes your enterprise secure and safe. You get, of course, the best firewall in the world. You get incredible intrusion protection. But you also get three kinds of antivirus, two for uh, email, one for the web. You get anti-spam, anti-phishing. And then you get some stuff that's really a convenience. It's not just security. It, it adds. It makes it easier to use your system. For instance, SSL over uh, VPN, uh, IPsec, PPTP as well, which makes it very easy to get in uh, to your SSL, uh, um, your VPN rather, through SSL. Uh, you get um, complete control over what your users do, including instant messaging, peer-to-peer, filtering of uh, uh, all kinds of content. You get encryption. Through open PGP or S-Mine, it's transparent to the end user. It just happens. Encryption, decryption, and signing automatically. Um, Astaro makes a great product, and I want to just tell you, all you have to do to try it out, get a free demo unit in your business, is call 877-4-ASTARO. 877-427-8276. That's toll-free. 877-427-8276. If you're outside the U.S., Visit them online. There's numbers for every country in the world. ASTARO.com is the website. And if you're a non-commercial user, you can obtain a free home user license, including the Astaro up-to-date, which keeps you completely up-to-date on all of this. Absolutely free. Go to Astaro.com slash security now. This, this is a company that gives back to the open source community as well as making absolutely the best security hardware out there. Astaro. We thank them so much for their support of security now. All right, Steve, sandboxy, how do it work? Okay, well, the way I would like our listeners to think of this is as a very powerful general purpose security um, enhancement solution. Um, uh, as Ronan indicated, he, he initially started because he, did, he went to some site and clicked on some link and and was his system was deeply infected by malware that he was unable to remove some sort of spyware in Internet Explorer. So he thought, okay, um, this is bad. Uh, I don't know whether he you know reformatted his drive or what, but he I think he indicated that he was you know really unable to satisfactorily remove this. So he thought, you know, I'm going to see what I can do to prevent anything bad from happening to my machine. So. What is the the way this works? What a sandbox is in in Ronan's implementation is imagine that um, you've got a program running in Windows, and it it opens a file with read write permission. It's possible, if, for example, in Windows to open a file for read only access, where Windows itself then give gives the program a handle to the file which allows the program to read the contents but not to alter them. In, in that case, Sandboxy does nothing. It just says, okay, you know, this program that, I'm, that, I'm, that is sandboxed is going to only read, so it's, it's, it's permitted. If, however, the program in the sandbox tries to open a file with read-write permission so that it might modify the file, Sandboxy 
transparently copies the file into the sandbox. That is, and, and what the sandbox basically is, is just a, 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 a set of folders on your hard drive. So it makes a copy of that file and subsequently redirects all access to, to that file rather than to the ah. original copy out on the system. So anything, <clears throat> excuse me, anything the, the program does, it does to the copy of the file, not to the original one. Well, that concept he, is then extended to all aspects of the system, for example, to the registry, so that any keys that are edited or created in the registry, which of course is what malware does when it's trying to arrange to, to install as a rootkit to get itself started up surreptitiously, any changes that are made, anything that, that, that writes in any fashion is, is actually written in a, in, in like an, it, it's, it's intercepted and written into the sandbox. So, so from the view of the program, it has successfully made these changes because when the program ch tries to look at them, Sandboxy realizes that it's got its own local, sort of like a locally cached copy. I, I, you can really think of it like a cache where it's, it's getting the contents originally from the operating system, then caching it in the sandbox, and, and modifications are, are contained in the sandbox so that the application thinks it's succeeded and, you know, it's chuckling to itself <laughs> when, in fact, it didn't do anything to the system. So, so what Sandboxy does, another way to think of it, is it sort of creates a fork of, your, of, of the state of your system where the, where the program that's making modifications, it sort of forks off of the real condition of your system and begins to see its own local private view, which which only it sees. Nothing outside the of of the sandbox is aware of the sandbox or has access to it. It's just you know normal system. But the thing running in the sandbox sees a different view. It sees its own private view. So so what this means is that that you've you've isolated any actions which are taken by the by this program um and nothing outside is is actually modified even though that's transparent to the program running in the sandbox so in practical terms the way this works is for example with 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 firefox or opera or ie whatever web browser and 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 generally what's co so cool about this even though this started out to be as as ronan indicated a program to to sandbox Internet Explorer because that's where his first problem was. And I mean, you know, how many times have we said on this show that the web browser is now the biggest security problem in the system because you, you know, it's the way it, it, it's what you use to go out onto the Internet where unfortunately not everybody is a good guy. And you are as you click on things and go to websites, you are your Oftentimes, as you know, we talk about with scripting, you're running code, you're, you're, you're running ActiveX controls, which are, are being downloaded, whatever you're doing. I mean, that's, that's the big danger. But Sandboxy is, is, is a universal solution for, for any executable that you want to run in your system. And when we were talking to Ronan, I, I gave the example 
of using it to isolate the installation of programs. If you run a, a, a setup program or an installer in a sandbox, it thinks it's installing the program in your system. But in fact, all the changes it makes are, are constrained within the sandbox. And, and he even has the ability, you know, it modifies, for example, the start menu. It thinks it's added things to the start menu. But if you look at your start menu, they're not there huh. because, you know, th the, your start menu is not in the sandbox. But Ronan in his pop-up menu has a, a sort of a, a start menu clone, which merges the updated start menu in the sandbox with the external start menu that hasn't been merged. So then, there you can see this thing you've just installed is in the internal start menu, and so you can run it. So this allows you, for example, to do what many of us do with a, whole, with a virtual machine. And in fact, remember that I installed Chrome in a VM um, initially, and you were saying, wow, you know, you must not really, you know. <laughs> you don't trust anything. <laughs> you don't trust anything, except, you know, I was doing it for containment. Right. Because I know, and old time, old school Windows users know, that when you install things, sometimes you can't, get you can't really get rid of them completely. Well, so you know, I was installing Chrome in a VM. Now I would now today, knowing sandboxy as I do, I would install it. I would run the Chrome installer in a sandbox. And in fact, it's trivial to do because sandboxy adds to the right click context menu, run sandbox. Wow. That's so literally so great. any program on your system, you can right click on it and rather than like double you know, double clicking on it if it was sitting on your desktop like you just downloaded it some some installer. Right. Um, ra rather than, than double-clicking on it, you could right-click on it and just select from the context menu, Run Sandboxed, and it, it, it fires it up in, in this containment environment so that all the changes <clears throat> it makes are, are constrained. Now, is there, there, is there any limitation to this, I mean, that you found? Are there some, any, any kind of places where that doesn't work very well? Um, the, well the, when so you think programs about it, assume that they're accessing the whole system. Right, and and there's there is no place that I have found that where there is a there's a problem you can't overcome. One of the things that that users will see, and, and which I have seen, is this has all the feeling of of being a very mature product. This is not a you know a 1.0 or a 0.99. You know it, it it's at 3.32. Um, it's it it it's been around long enough. And it's had enough of a user base that it's matured so that, you know, the various things that might cause problems have solutions. Now, one of the things we all do is we download files using our web browser. So here's a problem because we've, we've downloaded a file, but inherently, you know, we don't want that to stay in the sandbox. We want it. We want it. If we, if we trust the file, if we believe it, uh, well, for one thing, if we when we download it and and execute it, we might want to execute it in the sandbox, in the browser's sandbox, because we if we're not sure, we can trust it. But you know, often like you know, I'm I'm downloading like an MP3 um, from you, Leo. Well, it's an MP3. It's from you. You know, I want it out of the sandbox. Right. So there is a there's you have you have the ability to define special directories where 
anything that is written to that directory, uh, you're notified about. A little, a little pop-up comes up and says, oh, you've just written something to your desktop from your browser. You know, Do you want to recover this? He calls it recovery. Do you want to recover this file from the sandbox? And so with just a click, you can say yes, and then it appears on your desktop. Until then, it was contained within the sandbox. So, so he has he's he's provided ways which are convenient to allow the migration of things from inside the sandbox to outside, uh, and they're they're very convenient. One of the other things that is very cool for somebody who's interested in like you know doesn't trust some software or wants to maybe sort of do some forensics. You know, you know, we've talked, for example, about running FileMon or Regmon mm-hmm. and then like scanning through it to try to figure out, you know, what did this program do? Thanks to the sandboxing technology, which is file-based, after you run something, like, I, like I've been running Eudora in its own sandbox for a while now, I can, and Ronan provides through the, the sandbox user interface, the ability to explore all the things that have been going on in the sandbox. It, 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 it's a tree-structured file system, so you can just you, you can open up your C and your Windows and your system and like explore through and see what things have been modified because any modifications that would normally be made to your system are intercepted and, and, and they create the modified files in the sandbox. So it allows you to literally do like a, a, a forensic exploration of, of every single thing that has happened in the sandbox during, it, during its lifetime. There's also the notion of persistent and transient sandboxes. That is one of the, the, one of the options, and it's the one I've got set up for Firefox, is when I close Firefox, the sandbox contents are deleted. So any accumulation of debris from surfing, you know, any just, you know, it might be malicious. It might not. It's just but but any accumulation is just completely flushed every time I close the last instance of of Firefox running in the Firefox sandbox. Um, But you may you may have an application where you want more persistence. For example, um, imagine that you wanted to create a, 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 a the like a private a very secure pri, uh, surfing privacy area well you're you're able to 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 define and create different sandboxes you name them and 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 so if i've got a, a eudora sandbox a firefox sandbox you could also create like a private surfing sandbox and sandboxy allows you to define where the sandbox lives, that is, on what drive it lives. So one of the examples, and this is the, this is being done by sandboxy users, is they'll use TrueCrypt to create an, an encrypted area of the drive, of, of, of your drive, as a drive letter. You can then aim sandboxy at that drive letter, and that means that everything done in the sandbox is thanks to TrueCrypt is encrypted as it's being written and decrypted as it's being read. So at no at no time is is anything permanent being done on your hard drive that could ever be recovered by anyone doing any kind of forensic analysis. So 
it, so it allows you to create thanks to TrueCrypt, not not only do you have this notion of of transience, but you but you could set up the sandbox to be permanent. And in fact, there's an option to, to prevent its inadvertent deletion. So you can turn that on and you won't be able to delete it unless you go through a bunch of, yes, I'm really sure, sort of, you know, uh, j- jumping through hoops um, and involving turning that off and then, then, then confirming that you want to and so forth. And that would allow you to, to create an environment where any programs running in this privacy enforcement sandbox they don't they're not special programs they don't know they they don't use encryption they don't need to use encryption it it might just be like a a photo album for example where you for for whatever reason you want photos that you that that through your photo album that absolutely only you have access to and since you've got truecrypt you'd have to in order to get access to that sandbox which is running in a truecrypt drive you'd have to provide the truecrypt password in order for that sandbox to have any opportunity to access that drive. And then, and then from then um, any programs you run within that privacy enforcement sandbox, get all the benefits of, of absolute privacy enforcement and the use of TrueCrypt, even if, you know, they're not aware of like that, that they've got this going on. It's completely transparent for them. Wow. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a universal, very powerful security enforcement appliance. Um, the one thing that he talked about that I want to reiterate is I, I will say that it is it takes a, some time to sort of bring yourself up to speed. When I was first using it and I created a PDF, I I, I got a um, uh, an error from from Adobe Acrobat complaining that you know that it was unable to create the PDF. And I thought, okay, well, what do I do about this? Um, so I, I did some looking around, and uh, he provides all the tools for for basically analyzing what the problem was. There's a log that Sandboxy that you're able to open when you do something that goes ouch. It'll appear in the log and show you what it was that was blocked, and then and then Ronan provides through the user interface the ability to for example, give access down a certain path on the hard drive to a file or to allow um, interprocess communication, an, I, an IPC event. Um, and so the tools are there, although they're a little tricky to use yet, which is why we, what we heard him say was that he wants to make that process right. more automatic right. so that you would just check, oh, I need Adobe PDF. You would just turn on a checkbox you know, in, in a sort of like a, a, a compatibility list but the, what's cool is you don't we're not dependent upon Ronan to to provide that in the future. All of that exists now, though it does require a little bit of experimentation and, in order to understand um, uh, basically how the system works. Um, so I would say that it's it's not trivial to use, but it is something that you could set up for someone, and after you made sure that they could print and that you know they could do the things they want to. Um, it is sort of a set it and, and, and forget it. The way Sandboxy functions, um, one question I forgot to ask him, but I already knew the answer to it, is could this be set up in a portable mode? Could you have oh, Sandboxy yeah. you know, on a USB Wouldn't stick, for cool? example? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in order to pull this off, he, Sandboxy is a driver 
that, that requires a reboot of your system. It, it's a kernel that driver. That makes sense. Yes. And, and there's a service running in the background. Right. Because, for example, one of the things you can do is you're able to say, and I have, don't ever allow Firefox.exe to run outside. Without wow. Yes, without yeah. sandboxing. That and makes so, sense. You'd have to because you have to catch calls. You'd have to be running as a service or a driver in the yes, background. Yes, it, it is a it is a low level piece of technology. Yeah. I mean, basically, he's he he's sunk his hooks into the OS. Um, it is Vista compatible. I'm running it under XP. He sunk his hooks into the OS so that, for example, he's catching an executable starting. I don't have to like have some funky shortcut or something right. Right. to like get Firefox to run in a sandbox when this when 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 the system, when Sandboxy, which is down in the kernel, sees Firefox.exe starting up, it, it knows to insert it into the Firefox sandbox or to create one because now I've got Firefox sandbox set up to be transient so that it, it just deletes it after my, my last use of it closes. Ironically, he's using a lot of the techniques that bad guys use. Oh yeah, I mean it is. It is. I, it, we should have asked him. I, I I didn't think of it until now, but we should have asked him. Where where'd you learn to do all this? <laughs> and you know, one of the other cool things, it sort of shows his roots. Um, all of the use of that configuration UI, it all boils down to a single sandbox dot any a wow. sandbox ini config file. Wow. So you're able to take your mature configuration and easily, you know, copy it to another system. That's nice. Uh, and, and thanks to his licensing, uh, you, you know, the, a, a license is a lifetime license for all of the past and future of Sandboxy, um, and you're able to run it on all the machine that you own. Um, and I, I, I mentioned also earlier, I just want to say it again because it was a neat I'm, – I'm still, I'm still having to get used to the fact that I've got this level of security now because – Last night, someone sent me a PowerPoint that they were, you know, passing around the internet. It was some Einstein quotes PowerPoint, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay, you know, and and it's funny because I had configured my Eudora. Um, I'm I'm using the Eudora email client. I configured my Eudora sandbox to only allow it and Firefox XE, and I I didn't even know about Firefox, but I clicked on a link in email, and I got a notice saying, whoops, you know. Firefox XE has no permission to run in the sandbox. I thought, oh, that's right. So I went over to the UI and I added Firefox XE. Then when I clicked on a link, Firefox ran just fine because it was it was running in the in the Eudora sandbox. So, um, so uh, the, uh, er, er, earlier this um, this morning, when I clicked on this Einstein.ppt this this PowerPoint file, I got a little pop up that said. PowerPNT.exe does not have permission to run the sandbox. It's like, oh, that's right. So I added that to it. So there is some, j just very much like with a software firewall, where over time you need to give it the permissions that you choose to give it in order for it to understand, you know, who you are and how you want it to operate. There's there's that same sort of evolution of of the of the settings of your your use of sandboxy. But now, as a consequence, I did click on the link, and PowerPoint opened. Now, PowerPoint was opening in the Eudora sandbox, meaning that 
no matter what this did, if, they, if there was a, an exploit, a, like a, even an unknown exploit, and this is the point of where this is, you know, this is the way I want to operate rather than re- relying on an AV program to like scan the, 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 the Einstein.ppt file on the way in to see if it contains something malicious. Um, the problem, of course, is that, that necessarily AV patterns lag behind. So what I've got now is better than that. Because if there was an unknown vulnerability in PowerPoint XE, and I had just received an exploitive PowerPoint um, file, and it tried to do something to my system, um, I'm protected. Because it's going to be contained within the Eudora sandbox and never get out. Isn't that sweet? It, I mean, it is, a, it is a tremendous solution, Leo, for, for our listeners who are you know willing to spend some time? He he takes you through a nice tutorial when you first start using it. Um, it's a little bit rough at the beginning, so it's not like just completely smooth sailing. Um, but I, and so there's some learning curve associated associated with it. But this is, I, I mean, it is the most most significant security tool I've run across in a long time. The alternative, as we talked about, for example, is a is a heavyweight virtual machine you know and i mean i've got vmware installed here um i'm not running my browser in it because it's just too clunky it's it's too heavyweight i want to run my browser in my operating system where i can easily move files in and out of it and i can click on links and and do things and not have that in my way and a virtual a virtual machine as we've talked about before requires a commitment of a block of your system's ram while it's running because it's unable to to share ram with the main system and you need a second copy of your os and you need you know your various applications all installed in there too and then you got to keep them all up to date the beauty of sandboxy is that it is it's running with your existing os no heavyweight um, virtual machine no you know pre-commitment of of ram while you're using it you know it's just it's not in your way but it is preventing things from from getting out of of containment, uh, it's just a tremendous security solution. Uh, I'm you know of course uh, writing it it requires a great understanding of the deep guts of Windows and it's not oh, yeah. it would be non trivial to port it to other operating systems. But boy, I think it'd be great to have something like that on other operating systems, Mac and Linux as well. It'd just be really useful. Well, yeah. maybe now it, that the idea is out there, somebody will do it. Well, we've got it for Windows, which is where I am and where a lot of our listeners are. And again, um, it is you can download it. You can use it for for free for 30 days. After that, there is a some sort of after 30 days, if you continue using it without registering it, there's some sort of a, you know, a an, an annoying pop up. I've never seen that. Um, there are a couple additional features which which you get with registration He's got some, some, I mean, I've, I've, as much as I've just talked about this, there's a bunch of stuff I haven't talked about. Like you're able to, to turn on um, automatic CD and DVD protection so that anything that runs from, from your CD or DVD drive is automatically sandboxed. And so there's like a whole bunch of other cool little features, you know, which are the kind of things you see in, in a, in a truly mature product where people have said, Hey, what about this? And Ronan says, Oh, I like that idea, you know, and, and there <laughs> it is see. a week later. I'm so glad he can do this full time. Cause that's what it takes. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, that's really great. Really great. Yes. I mean, I have a new security tool, which I recommend without without hesitation, with the only caveat that it's it's going to take a little time to kind of get comfortable with it, to, to understand how it's changed your system. But once you've done that, once you've made that investment, what you've got is something that that truly protects you in a way that nothing else we have except creating an, an entirely separate virtual machine and doing everything in a virtual machine. You know, this is a much easier, not in your face, light way to get, the, you know, that level of protection. And um, uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. Well, thanks for highlighting it. You know, it's funny. We've been talking about it for a couple of years, at least. Now we really know what it is. And now we know the details and we've got to meet uh, Ronan, which is really cool. Yep. As usual, Steve, you, you, you do a great job of bringing this all to light and uh, sharing it with the world. And I hope many, 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 many thousands more people will be using Sandboxy. Uh, well, of course, and I, I hope so for their sake, yeah. not even for Ronan's sake. I mean, yeah. this thing is a, an honest-to-God, serious computer, um, computer security tool. And so far, I've been using NoScript since, you know, for another half hour, surfing around. Uh, you're right. Turning off a notification seems to make it quite a bit oh, more It ought visible. to be turned off by default. Yes. <laughs> it's, it just, it's, it's a significant difference. It's, it's really, I, we'll, we'll, we'll see how you last, Leo, with it, because I'm, I'm I can't even tell it's the, running now. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was definitely the thing to do. And uh, I can live with the one click kind of giving me a warning. What the heck? All right, Steve, we are going to uh, wrap this thing up. We do invite everybody to check out Steve's website, grc.com. If you would like to uh, know more about uh, the subject, we've got, of course, show notes, transcriptions of every show, 16 kilobit versions for those of you who are bandwidth impaired. And there's lots of other great stuff, including Steve's great security forums there. That's where to go, by the way, to pose your uh, question. If you want to uh, ask a question for our next episode, grc.com slash feedback is the place to go. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Are you waving at me? <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> and uh, and uh, let's see. Oh, don't forget Spin Rights there, too, as well as many great free programs Steve, ma- Steve makes available. Colleen's favorite new utility. Yeah, no kidding. I'm going to have great. her start doing the ads for Spin Right. She just, she just loves it. Um, and uh, that's about it. Don't forget Talk you can to you next catch this show on uh, and all of our pro- programs on the uh, free on iTunes. Just search for Twit in the iTunes store. They're all free, and there's lots of great stuff including security now. We'll talk to you next week, Steve. Thanks very much. Okay, yeah. Thanks. Security now.